Hey there, welcome to another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, School Fuel, how the Barry Food Bank is helping kids get a nutritious start to the school day. We focus in on bullying with another pink shirt day this week, what a local organization is doing to help those who are bullied and keep it from happening in the first place. Barry Mayor Alex Nuttall stops by talking more about how the city is trying to ignite home building in the city. Haven't clinched yet, but the Barry Colts are getting closer to nailing down a playoff spot, and Snow Valley is hoping to give RVH a huge injection of cash. We get these conversations started after this. Getting the day off on the right foot usually means having a nutritious breakfast, but some kids aren't getting anything at all. Enter the Berry Food Bank, which has launched a school fuel program, putting food and breakfast snacks in schools so all children can have healthy snacks on a daily basis. Berry 360's Ian McLennan gets the details from the food bank's Sharon Palmer. So it's a partnership. There's actually three uh, people involved or partners involved in it. The first one is the School Nutrition Ontario Central East Group. They are an organization that helps us with the organization, with the schools, signs them up, organizes on that side, and gets us access to low prices on school snack uh, items, and also briefs or, or controls the quality of the items that we're offering in the schools. And then the other group is the Public Foundation. It's a family foundation that is uh, contributing towards the cost of the, the school snacks and breakfast items. Now, school fuel is, is it's called that. I mean, fuel is energy, and mm-hmm. is that what we're is that is that the kind of the method to you know these kids that need the that extra need the food, the nutrition to get them through the school day. Exactly. So there's lots of research out there that shows that students who are hungry don't focus very well, they don't do as well, their learning outcomes aren't as great. So uh, it's a program that is trying to address that and make sure that all students have an equal footing when they start the day. And what sort of um, food items are provided? Is it a, is it breakfast only or how is it distributed and so, so on? So there's a, there's a number of sort of snack and breakfast items. So there's like whole wheat Cheerio bowls, there's snack bars, like made good snack bars. There's fruit cups. There's apples, so fresh apples and bananas in the program. Uh, there's a whole menu of items, and each school can choose the items that they want for their for their students. And how many schools um, in Barrie are participating? How long, I mean, you've announced it, but how long has mm-hmm. it been in, in place, so to speak? So we started in September, last September, with a pilot program with about 10 schools. And just to see how it went and work out all the kinks. And then we've uh, increased it to 22 schools as of January of this year. So the need is there. It is. And uh, as more schools find out about it and realize that it really helps them with their logistics. So in the past, uh, sometimes it was parent groups that were organizing school snacks or the principal or the vice principal. And what this program does is just relieve some of that burden for the schools. They can just order every two weeks. Uh, what the items they want, we coordinate the orders, get an order in bulk, and then have that come into the Berry Food Bank. We package it all up by each for each school and deliver it to the schools. Now, um, some schools do have breakfast programs. Is this an would that be an add-on to it? If or I'm just curious how that usually might it's it's the replacement for the breakfast programs. Okay. Um, yes, it depends on the school, but in most cases, it's just kind of taking over that aspect of it. So when you have that many schools, there's obviously um, the need is out there. Would that be reflective of what you and your team see at the food bank when it comes to 
uh, children? Absolutely. So the the number of uh, families and individuals that we're seeing at the food bank has grown significantly. Uh, it's up about 100% year over year in terms of the individuals. Um, in terms of some numbers for you, in 2023, we served 14,400 unique individuals in Barrie, um, and about 4,200 of those were under the age of 18. So we have lots of students, um, children that are already using the food bank, and this is getting some extra items into their uh, into their lunch boxes, so to speak. And is this at the elementary and secondary level? So the program right now is just focused on elementary schools. Would you look at expanding, or does the program offer that opportunity for at a high school level? We can we can expand the program. Uh, right now, we're kind of at capacity, and just in terms of the funding that we have and the resources that we have to run it, uh, based on what we learned in the pilot, it's taking us. Um, we have one staff member that spends about twenty percent of their time organizing across the schools and organizing the volunteers. Uh, and we have about half a dozen volunteers that are part of the program. They come in, they pack the boxes. We have volunteer drivers that do the delivery. So it's um, it's quite a lot of work to do it, but it's part of our mandate to make sure that we're uh, feeding people who are hungry in the community of Barrie. So we're committed to to trying to reach um, kids and hungry kids in particular. And with uh, speaking of commitment, is there commitment to go beyond into the next school year or how long do you have sort of that, uh, you know, reassurance that you can keep doing this? Well, that will depend to a certain extent on the funding. Um, The Pavlik Foundation has stepped up and and, uh, they were part of the initial launch for this program and they've committed through to the next, uh, to the end of the school year. And, and, uh, but we're looking for other partners to get involved and that would allow us to expand it even further. And how do you deem uh, a program, you know, being successful? Do you look at number? What metrics do you, even for a program like this, uh, do you determine that this this is working or we're meeting a need? So for sure, um, feedback from the schools has been really important to us. The the student um, uh, nutrition uh, organization that we work with, they have been doing surveys with the schools, and we've got very positive feedback from them. They're happy with the quality of items, they're happy with the participation, and they're happy that it's taking some of the pressure off of them to do all this work in terms of deter- determining what are nutritious snacks for kids and just getting that to the schools in a, in a timely basis for them. So that's one measurement is the feedback. Um, and then the level of students participating. So they also help us measure the number of students participating, which was about 5,200 um, from the fall. So. You know, that tells us that um, there is a need and that uh, it's something that we want to do more of. The housing issue not going away anytime soon, but the city of Barrie is working on it. Mayor Alex Nuttall joins us to talk about the latest effort to find a place for everyone to live. You're selling off some city-owned land now? Absolutely. So housing obviously is uh, the number one issue uh, of our time. We uh, continue to live in a, a time where it's almost impossible for individuals to get into the housing market uh, and also for our seniors to be able to downsize uh, out of their, their current housing stock. And so uh, one of the things the City of Barrie has been working on is uh, properties that we own around the City of Barrie that aren't being used at this point, uh, getting those out to market, getting lots of units built on them 
um, and really providing more opportunities for individuals in the city of Barrie to be able to either rent more affordable housing or to purchase uh, and get into that uh, that housing market themselves. So uh, through this process of the first three, we're hoping to generate somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 units. And uh, we'll see that continue to grow as we uh, find and allocate more properties uh, to get to market. You mentioned 1,500 units. How many would you like to see built? How many do we need? How many do we need? Well, you know, it's it's a, that's a tough question to answer. A couple of reasons. Number one is uh, the amount of uh, multi-generational families living in places right now, it's hard to know uh, how many of those folks would like to be outside of their homes versus inside. Um, and there's also the constant need uh, that's being uh, being thrown at the city of Barrie when individuals are moving up from the GTA. So uh, I don't think we have a, a direct answer to that in terms of any scientific research. Uh, but our commitment to the province of Ontario is to build 23,000 units over 10 years. We surpassed our goal last year. Our goal was uh, 1,687. We uh, delivered 1,702 uh, with an additional 107 units that uh, just didn't get in in time for the reporting, so they'll fall into 2024. Uh, so, you know, I think we're doing a lot of good in terms of uh, delivering, but you look at the market, it's it's very soft. Uh, builders aren't building right now. And so we need to find ways to incent those units to be built because people who grow up in Barrie shouldn't be stuck in their parents' home. People who grow up in Barrie should be able to, you know, obviously get an education here, uh, have great employment here and be able to purchase their home here and, and uh, enjoy the same life for their kids and their family that they received growing up. Has there been any discussion about uh, allowing, or maybe they are allowed and nobody's building them, tiny homes and container homes? Yeah, so there's obviously everything's on the table. Uh, When we're looking at tiny homes, uh, we need a proposal to come forward that includes that in in, in their proposal. But if you consider the use of, uh, let's say, an acre of land, uh, when the city's looking at our land, the old Sperling police station is a great example. There's about three acres over there. And, you know, you'd only be able to put so many, maybe a hundred tiny homes on that uh, plot of land. But at the same time, we'd be able to put in five or 600 units uh, if we went up far enough. So it's got to be the right piece of property and it's got to make sense for that uh, because we don't want to underutilize key pieces of property around the city. There was some talk uh, with the previous uh, council about uh, space in parking lots and in, in, uh, shopping malls and churches. Has there been anything further on those uh, ideas? You know, there's uh, a couple of things that have happened. Number one is Salvation Army uh, Church uh, were able to work with Redwood Communities to deliver transitional housing on their property, which is fantastic. That actually started during the last council. Uh, the, the other piece uh, is Mapleview Church has been uh, working on the same thing. Uh, and I think that they're going to be able to have a very long-term plan, very successful plan. They're well-funded um, and really trying to help folks who are down and out, who are looking for that that hand up to uh, to get back on a successful track. And so, you know, there are some some very cool things that we're seeing uh, on that front. The, the other thing that's happening is Simcoe County, uh, of which we pay one quarter of the cost, is investing uh, in Aurelia. They're investing in Barrie and they're investing in Bradford. Uh, bringing hundreds of affordable housing units online, uh, over 200 here in the city of Barrie. And so uh, those are are great things to see. That's a $400 million uh, campaign, if you will, uh, for affordable housing. And so I think there's lots that are happening on, you know, in the broader policy context of 
churches now being able to put residential on their property, the county stepping up with some major investments, and the city saying, okay, what parking lots, what properties do we own that we don't need and are just literally sitting there vacant? And the the neat thing about it is we can both get housing stock uh, up and running by by liquidating some of our properties. We can also bring in a windfall for the city of Barrie to then reinvest in housing or other things. Um, and, and, and the final piece is it actually reduces our costs because we no longer have to take care of those properties each and every year. So uh, I think it's uh, it's pretty neat. It's awesome what uh, we've been able to work with staff with to, uh, to, to bring out and bring to market. Nice to have those win-win situations. Absolutely. They don't happen every day, so no. we've got to talk about them when they do happen. <laughs> uh, the mayor of Belleville in the last couple of weeks uh, issued a state of emergency or declared a state of emergency over uh, drug overdose uh, problems. Uh, we've had similar problems here. Your thoughts on, on uh, that approach to trying to, to solve that problem? Well, Dan, back in 2017-18, I actually went to council and asked them to declare a state of emergency in downtown Barrie. The why is we we were the highest in Ontario per capita for uh, deaths related to fentanyl use at that point. Uh, We, I think, believe we were third highest in the country. And I'm going on memory at at this point, and that's obviously six or seven years back. So I think that would have worked back then. And the problem we face now is that everybody's facing these similar issues. So structurally, we have some some real work to do. Uh, We need to make sure that when somebody's trying to access help, uh, that it's not just a, a, a doorway into a system that doesn't exist. Like, where are the rehabilitative services? Where are, uh, you know, the investments in detox? Where are uh, the items that will help individuals have meaningful change to their lives? At the same time, you know, I think about the organizations around the city that are already providing those daily helps and supports. Uh, they need to continue what they're doing. But if we don't have a long-term plan for folks to be able to get out of a life that's, uh, you know, maybe full of addiction or mental health issues and into full-time housing, into an opportunity to maybe even start in the employment side and, and working with local businesses. You know, if we don't have those systems in place in a robust way, I think that that's where we're failing. So uh, I, I hope to see more investment on that front going forward. And uh, that long-term transitional housing that, you know, a couple of churches have, have uh decided to move on, I think we need a much more comprehensive uh, approach throughout the community and, and from the county on this. A lot of collaborations that need to take place, not just with businesses, but with all levels of government. No question. And if everybody's not, you know, rowing in the same direction as they say, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll fail. And uh, we need the social services on the same side. We need the provincial government and the federal governments on the same side. The city of Barrie, our police department, our paramedic and fire services, everybody rowing in the same direction in order to have a meaningful uh, change here on the ground. And and I'll say the city's doing our part in the sense that we committed an additional $1.65 million last year, 825000 of that's being uh, distributed in 2024. Uh, we've stopped the prisoner release program downtown. We've tried to create more capacity for warming and cooling centers. We've invested in uh, food programs. You know, all of those things are happening. But if we don't have a long-term approach to rehabilitation, to supports, to mental health supports, to employment counseling in place in the in, in the exact moments that these individuals need it, I think we're inevitably going to fail. You mentioned the prisoner release program and, and you got that changed a few months ago. Have you noticed a, a difference there? You know, it's funny. I, I'm not, uh, I would say I'm not down around that uh, area enough to 
personally notice it uh, maybe in the summertime when I'm taking the kids for a bike ride. But uh, we had a, a few town halls and individuals in the community have been saying they noticed. And I think that that's uh, really, really neat to see because it's not just about making sure the streets of barrier are clean, you know, and, and, and that uh, they're safe. It's also about those individuals who are just, they're being left on the side of the road in a place that they just don't know. And it's important that we as a society say, if there's a moment of intervention, we're going to help those folks get on the right path, not the wrong path. And so uh, I, I'm very proud of the work that's being done by our, our transit team and our City of Barrie team to ensure that every individual released isn't just dropped off in, in Barrie where they have no connections and no friends and no supports, uh, that they're getting closer to home and that we are referring to the appropriate individuals to help in that, uh, in that moment of need. So things are moving forward on a lot of different levels, some a little more slowly than you'd like, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Alex Nuttall, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, the Barry Colts gallop to the playoffs, getting a handle on bullying and taking to the slopes to help RVH. Now this. It's cool to care. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 donate Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. Bullying, none of us is immune and it's happening probably more than you think, not just at school or at the mall, but in the workplace, even at home. Brandy Sanders, manager of clinical services with New Path Youth and Family Services in Barrie, is one of many people helping those who have been the victim of bullying. She sat down with our Ian McLennan to talk about the work New Path is doing and another pink shirt day, which happened this week. Pink Shirt Day came to be um, really in bringing forth and eliminating some isolation around a young individual who was being bullied at school. And some two individuals took the initiative to say, you know, this isn't okay um, because that young person wore a pink shirt one day. And so they took on the initiative to buy a bunch of pink shirts and reach out to a large number of individuals um, to say like, hey, let's let's all do this together. And they showed up the next day at school wearing their pink shirts, handing them out. So other students did, faculty members did. And really the story goes is that the young person who had been bullied and seeing all of these individuals in pink shirts felt heard and felt that they weren't alone. And sometimes we associated the pink, sometimes with LGBTQ, but is it is it broader than that now? I mean, because I mean, I remember when I was going to school back in the 70s, I don't think I would have been caught dead wearing something pink. Yeah, I think it's um, really bringing in all community and all members of any community to say like, you know, what is your individuality and whether you want to wear pink or you want to wear whatever color it might be is that it's really about being diverse and kind and inclusive. Because it goes beyond that. It's it's bullying in all forms, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 
And so the people that the young people that you see, what age and uh, what um, what do they tell you, or why are they coming to uh, your organization for support? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so New Path Youth and Family Services, we um, service 0 to 17. We offer free mental health services for children, youth, and families uh, through a range of different programs. And so when they come through our doors, they can be seeking support for all areas across their life. It might be impacted by them. Um, but we do see because the prevalence of bullying is happening at school, online, in the community, even workplaces for these young people. Um, And so it's coming to a place to be able to explore what supports can they get, what they need, what do family need to do to help these young people who are going through it, um, to build some skills on how to move forward and navigate when they are experiencing bullying um, and to help just build their sense of understanding that they're not alone. It's not a weight they have to carry on their own and that it is something that we can support them with. And can that bullying be um, beyond just the schoolyard? It can actually be family, if not immediate family? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Bullying can happen across all avenues of an individual's life. Um, As I said, like school, online. So bullying can happen from individuals they don't even know to really direct family individuals that they live with, um, as well as on the schoolyard. We hear, I mean, a lot more about bullying, and sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, okay, is that really bullying? Is that, you know, it's just some kid bothering you? Is there a definition of bullying, or do you have one at your organization when you say, you know, like, what makes a bully and what is bullying? Yeah, I think it's um, it's a term that's used a lot lately. Um, I think for me, my stance is, is really the young person standing in front of us is, are they feeling bullied? Is it hurting that much? Is there a difference from, you know, someone just called me a name and I was able to shrug it off and I moved on to this is feeling really hurtful and pervasive and it's uncomfortable. So I think often what we do is at New Path, the client's voice is so important to us and we really make it a client-centered approach. And so it's when they're coming to us and saying like, you know, this feels like it's being, I'm being bullied or this person is bullying me or, you know, really taking their lead on what it feels like for them. Because for some people, just one comment might actually feel really, really hurtful and that's a bullying. And for other individuals, it might be that it's been going on for years or, you know, months or days. And now all of a sudden it's feeling bullying and feeling different. So it's really about what are the young people's feelings and what are they saying? And that's how we take the lead on the definition. And what sort of um, what sort of methods uh, do you use uh, to to deal with a situation where there is bullying, and whether you know whether it's coping mechanisms or beyond beyond that? Yeah. So at New Path, we offer a range of different services. So we have our quick access, um, brief services, and longer term. So um, we will take again the lead from the young person and the family, depending on which program they might be in. Uh, but for the immediate one, it's really just building up some strategies. So some of those might be helping them learn to respond rather than react. You know, when a bully is saying or somebody's bullying, they're ex- wanting an individual to respond and react a certain way. So it's helping the young person build some skills to practice, to respond in a way that's not bringing attention to what the hurtful words might be and being able to hold their head high and walk away. Um, it might be about helping their parents or their safe people learn some strategies to listen attentively uh, to not only the positive things 
things and the hurtful things, but in the same manner so that this young person feels believed. So that, again, they're not isolated in this experience. Uh, Sometimes it's helping them connect with the school, um, helping them learn to advocate for themselves or helping them to find their voice to say, this is not okay. I don't like this. Don't do this again. Uh, So any of those ranges of skills um, from them just building their own um, abilities to do that, as well as to we need to bring in other partners and other community members or their support person to build their skills and confidence. And what age level do you see um, young people coming in, you know, for that support or family seeking the support with their youngster? Well, I think bullying starts really young. Um, so we have individuals who have, you know, are experiencing this in the ele- really younger elementary grades from like grade three, like two, three and up all the way through those individuals who are in their last year of high school. Um, and where were the parents, would, would uh, someone that young, would they know what to say or how to disclose it? Or do the parent, are there certain things parents or guardians can look for that say, you know what, something isn't right here? Yeah, I think for parents, it's about being curious. So uh, sometimes we get to be like, how was your day? And that's when kids are like, it's fine. And that's our standard answer. So just being more curious, asking curious questions around what was recess like for you today? What did you play today? Um, How did you spend your time or who were you playing with? Uh, Some of the other things are what was really great about your day or what was something that made you feel yucky today? And just really being curious and trying to get away from just those standard questions of how was your day, um, I think is a really great way for like those people, parents or caregivers or even older siblings, whoever it might be, to really give the young person opportunity to say, like, I want to hear what you have to say. I'm not just asking you a standard question. Well, that I'm just wondering with does. a teenager that sometimes teenagers, no matter what, don't want to share a lot anyway. So mm-hmm. is there more of a challenge there or... Yeah, and sometimes that can be, and it's really, I think, just around reminding the young person that, you know, whatever they have to say is important, and it's about being attentive, not only to the positive things they're saying, but also the things that might be hurtful. So having the same attentiveness to both um, and reminding them that if you don't want to talk right now, that's okay. I'm here when you do. Or if you don't want to talk to me, that's okay. Let's find somebody else that you can talk to. Um, I think it's about reminding parents and caregivers that it, it's not personal that they don't want to talk to you. They might just not have the words right now and know what to say. And so it's really about being able to step away and say, what do you need? If it's not me, who is it going to be? And what happens or what can happen if um, the young person, uh, especially maybe even a teenager where it goes beyond that where it's it's affecting the, the already their mental health or they're, they're turning to other um, avenues to cope with the bullying. Do you see that too? Yeah, we do. We'll see bullying is very impactful on young people. And so that early intervention is really important. Um, and one of the things that we often really want to encourage individuals is so and when you're first noticing things, trying to seeking out those supports. And so that's why we say utilizing our walk-in clinic is a really great place to do that um, because it can. They can use other means to try and um, alleviate some of the maybe the pain that they're feeling, right? And so that can be in different ways of self-harm or risky behavior. And so in those instances, it's really, again, about if the young person's not wanting to speak with their parent or their caregiver or whoever their safe person is, is that, you know, 
we do offer services like parents can come in on their own to our walk-in clinic and say, my young person's experiencing this. I don't know what to do. And our clinicians can support them in building some skills around how do you have that conversation? Where's your limit for what you need to do when you really need to step in and make a phone call for somebody else? And just helping them walk through that because it's a really challenging piece. So reach out to NewPath if you feel there's a concern or there or there's support. Is there um, is there a wait list for services or you know does it depend on the situation or? Yeah. So how we, do you decide? I guess who who comes through the door? Yeah. So because uh, NewPath we have a range of different services. So our walk-in clinic is our point our initial point of access. So there's no wait list for that. Uh, individuals can book a session on our website at NewPath.ca or they can call us, um, and they can look at what's available. They can schedule a time. So again, whether it be a caregiver, the young person themselves can do that. Both can come in. Um, They would meet with a clinician and have a conversation on what do they need right then and now? What supports are they looking for? And that clinician will act as a guide uh, to support them in seeing like which programming might actually be most helpful for them. Sometimes it's just to continue with walk-in clinic. Maybe other times it's to do our brief service program or our longer-term therapy programs or more intensive programs programs. So some of our programs do have wait lists. Um, however, if a young person is on our wait list, they can always still go to our quick access um, and schedule an appointment. So it doesn't matter that they're on a wait list. If they're needing support, they can just utilize that quick access until they are picked up in that program. For more information on the work NewPath is doing and how to access that help, log on to newpath.ca. Barry Colt still with an eye on the playoffs, picked up a couple of wins last weekend to maintain space between themselves and the Peterborough Peets for the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Barry 360's Will Conkin looks down the bench with Colt's writer and broadcaster Gene Pereira. Here we go again, Gene. Looking back, uh, started Wednesday, uh, Barry Colts uh, beat Owen Sound 4-3. Then on Saturday, uh, they racked up another win on the season against uh, the Steelheads 4-1. Then headed to Oshawa Sunday, uh, fell to the Generals 5-2. Some takeaways from the stretch, uh, Cole Bodwin's uh, 16-game scoring streak came to an end in the Steelheads game. And the Colts had some uh, penalty troubles in the loss to the Generals. Um, What were you seeing from this stretch? Yeah, it was actually a pretty good week for the, the young hockey club. It started with that overtime win uh, over uh, Owen Sound when they came back and Bowen setting up Patterson for the winner in overtime and uh, a thrilling finish. And, you know, this young team just continues to surprise you. And then, obviously, Bowen's uh, 16-game scoring streak comes to an end, but he was just outstanding, uh, you know, through the run and continues to be. But... Uh, you know, they continued it with a pretty solid win Saturday at home against the Mississauga team and that had won four straight and had been playing really good hockey. And uh, Barry ended up getting the win. Sunday at Oshawa, uh, I thought they started out really well for the first 10 minutes, but, you know, they ran into serious penalty trouble. There were three, uh, three penalties resulted in three power plays and uh, Oshawa scored two on it. And it completely changed the momentum of that hockey game. And then Oshawa scored another power play goal early in the second. And, and really that was kind of it. They took off, got a four nothing lead and Barry tried to get back into it. But, you know, again, uh, uh, the penalties. And, you know, in fairness to the Colts, uh, you know, they're one of the lower penalized teams in the league. So it, it hasn't been an issue. Uh, but, you know, when your power play is the, the league's person has had its struggles, you certainly want to avoid uh, taking penalties. 
You had mentioned it uh, off air to me uh, that uh, head coach Marty Williamson, uh, I, I think he needs some credit for their solid play of late. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you look at this roster, and at the deadline, you know, they moved Frasca, they moved Punnett, uh, they moved Shelley, uh, who's got some, you know, serious talent there. And, you know, they brought in guys who are just hard workers. And, you know, the roster doesn't, uh, when you look at some of the names on the roster, they don't necessarily stand out. But as a unit, they've played, uh, they've played fantastic. And, you know, look, they're competitive every night. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they're really pushing. And this is a team that, you know, they just don't look at, you know, okay, we got to win, make the playoffs here. They're, every night uh, they're determined to win. And, uh, you know, they're competitive. They're competitive every night. And when you look at the roster, maybe compared to others, uh, they're a lot younger. And, uh, you know, there's some elite skill on the other side. But uh, they seem to be matching that. And I think Marty Williamson and the coaching staff of Phil Barsky and Dylan Smoskowitz and Dave Belitsky there, they really deserve a ton of credit for what the job they've done this year with this young hockey club. I mean, just uh, just after the deadline, look, they're a fun team to watch. And it's no wonder that they're drawing over 4,000 fans uh, pretty much on a nightly basis, uh, uh, a sellout, because, uh, you know, they're a fun team to watch. And you can feel it in the atmosphere of the rink right now it's uh it's great and like i said whatever they do uh they're not expected to go uh long if they do get into the playoffs but uh you know they're, they're going to be entertaining and again uh, this is all thanks a lot to a coaching staff that i think deserves some credit here for the job they've done with this young hockey club up next for barry they host uh, the ice dogs on saturday and are on the road tuesday to play the peets they said ahead of both of them in the playoff picture eight points up on the peets for the final spot um how important are uh, these games yeah i mean obviously you know first and foremost you want to walk down that playoff spot and you know getting into playoffs uh, you know especially for the young guys who don't have that experience it's going to be a big factor and if you get some confidence i mean who knows uh, if you can pull off a first-round upset. But it, it's certainly, uh, you know, when you look at uh, the development, if you can get those playoff games. I mean, right now they're playing that playoff-style games, trying to get into playoffs. Uh, it's important. So every game, uh, they seem to have a different mindset than maybe a young team, rebuilding team, that they want to win every night. And obviously the game against Peterborough, it's a head-to-head game with a team that's chasing you exactly for that eighth and final playoff spot. And, you know, you, you can lock those down. You're pretty much well going to clinch the playoff spot. So it, it's a big game. And, uh, you know, for Peterborough, they, they also really seriously unloaded after winning the OHL championship. Uh, they've taken a step back here, but they've added some young talent as well. And, but for the Barry Colts, it's going to be exciting to watch, you know, what's going to be a very important game. And I think you can expect the intensity. Even though you look at the standings and you've got two teams near the bottom, but that intensity is going to be really, you know, really ramped up because uh, there's a lot at stake in that head-to-head game. That's another week in the books there, Gene. Thanks very much. Thanks, Phil. Haven't been able to hold a mash bash for a few years now for a number of reasons, but Snow Valley has something else in mind for next Monday, March the 4th, hoping that you'll want to take part. Barry 360's MJ gets the details from Snow Valley's Peter Haney. So we're looking at March, and it's unbelievable that we're looking at March already. Um, But you guys have uh, some really fun stuff happening on March 4th that helps the community as well. We have Wild Winter Weeknight. It's Monday the 4th, yeah. And how about that? From 4 to 9, 
and it is a fundraiser, of course, for our VH Foundation. We're, we're excited to heck, as always, because, of course, the owners are and the management team and, and, and the staff love doing events for, for RVH. So it's, uh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So this is for tubing and for lift passes as well that go towards uh, RVH? It is, it is. It's, it's the entire property. We've, uh, the entire evening on Monday the 4th is, is set to go for, uh, for the foundation. So we're, we're looking forward to yeah, lift tickets. Only $35 from 4 till 9 is great. And tubing, tubing is only $20 a ticket for two hours at tubing. So it's, it's wonderful. It's a great way to get out, have some fun, not expensive, and, uh, and, and uh, of course, uh, help the community. Uh, the foundation, and, and we're happy to be back at the foundation. Uh, it's been a while since we've been able to, uh, to support some events. So this is exciting. So some people that might not know, I, I was talking to someone a little while ago and they didn't know that we had a tubing park. I'm like, dude, we have one of the best tubing parks. <laughs> we do. We have the best tubing. <laughs> so if you're worried about skiing, like I know some people skiing, you know, I get it. If you, you know, it might be a little intimidating, but tubing is, you don't have to know anything. You get on and you have fun. Yeah. You sit down, hold on and scream. That, that's, that's the best part about it. No, tubing is wonderful. And, and it, that's the other thing too about this event coming up on the 4th is that, is that we are booking everything online too so you can go skisnowvalley.com and book online so you can book your lift tickets online you have to book your tubing tickets online though because that's just and it will sell out so we're kind of encouraging people to book out and book soon so aside from the event happening how have things been overall in general over on, on your neck and the woods? it's been a weird year but you guys find a way to make snow our our, our snow making teams and, and, and the whole operations are, are wonderful it's, it's amazing what they can do um and yeah, it has been a roller coaster year uh, for for the ski industry. Uh, between between rain, snow, and and then rain again, or whatever, it's just been one of those years. But uh, but it's been great. We have full coverage, as is I think most of the area resorts do now, and uh, and it's kind of nice finally because everyone says you know winter never came but for us it's here it's it's still here it's wonderful yeah that's one thing my son loves the winter time and then we were going skiing a couple of weeks ago he's like mom i just don't know like it's gonna be fine I'm like it'll be fine he gets there and as soon as he gets there he's like okay it feels like winter again <laughs> you guys are really good at making that and it, well and it's nice it's nice this, the the slopes are in great shape we have some wonderful surface but um but again it's hard to understand that when there's green grass at home so yeah. it's uh it's nice it's a, and and of course uh, it's uh, it's that time of year where the weather and the sunshine it's all kind of a wonderful time just to be outside so the ski resorts are going to be pushing uh, you know uh, in into you know we're looking forward to March break coming up as well that's kind of a big deal uh, for for everyone uh, ourselves included of course um, but this uh, this is kind of nice it's nice to be back uh, supporting the foundation and uh, and snow Valley is uh, is always uh, and the owners have always been very generous in trying to uh, support um, RVH. So this is a great way to get back into it again. Again, wild winter weeknight in support of RVH is Monday, March fourth. Log on to skisnowvalley.com for details. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, MJ, and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical tweaking, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on X at Barry360, on our website, barry360.com, and there's our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. 
I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.